the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. I like tech predictions in large part because, well, aren't we all kind of tech junkies? What will 2020 be with the evolution of the smartphone? Do you have an Alexa-powered car product yet? Will Amazon acquire Snapchat this year? Will anyone acquire Snapchat to compete with Facebook? I got you on that Amazon Snapchat one, didn't I? Um, You're thinking Amazon, FedEx, FedEx is struggling. Maybe FedEx partners with Walmart or FedEx partners with Shopify. Maybe they partner and maybe they merge. You get a FedEx and a Shopify and you have a legit competitor. Bam! Overnight with Amazon. You get a FedEx being acquired by Walmart, it gets interesting. So there's a lot of things that we can talk about. We can talk about apps. We can talk about predictions on VR and voice developments. Do you know that 25 years ago when I was doing this show, there was a a startup. I want to say it was called Wild Powers. I, I, I need to almost stop and think about the story before proceeding with it. But 25 years ago, a big technology was calling your voice assistant. And like, uh, you'd call, I want to say it was Wildfire. You'd say, Wildfire, uh, who called? And it would say, you got calls from Tony, Jim, and Craig. And it would like go through, and like, this was a big thing, getting kind of like smart stuff into telephone answering services. Into the robots, into that little, like, hit three for appointments, hit two for booking a flight. We've come a little bit ways in 25 years, right? The evolution of the smartphone is unfolding. Everyone owns one. Is that fair to say? Just work with me. Phones have changed from basically oversized bricks and shoeboxes to a tablet-sized screen that could perform amazing miracles. The vendors include Samsung, Lenovo, Huawei, as well as Apple and Google. Google's really not, they're the software. Consumers are quickly taking smartphones with larger size screens. Um, Apple said there will be a bigger phone in 2020 than there was in 2019. And I get it. Watching people struggle reading their phones. I get it. Watching people, TV, I don't think people struggle as much. But reading text, it's it's brutal, and like getting websites right, and zooming in and zooming out with photos. Smartphones with six to seven inch screens became the most prominent smartphone segment for the first time last year. And every year we want a little bit bigger. Now that's where maybe foldable phones could come in. 
get a little bit more real estate, but it's an incredibly awkward device to use. I'm not sold it on you yet. You can use the entire screen to play a video game, or you can fold it up and fit it comfortably in your pocket. We're going to see more foldable screens in 2020. Consumers are using their smartphones for digital activities more and more so. When you see the Golden Globes and the Emmys and... When you see how dominant streaming services are doing compared to the legacy ABC, NBC, CBS's, Foxes, you're like, whoa. As 5G comes into play, we're going to see more activities on cell phones. And wanting for more expansion of real estate, bigger phones. Now, Amazon has got an Alexa-powered car product. Will they do the same exact one and evolve it into what Apple and Google has? If you haven't been in Google's CarPlay or Apple's CarPlay, it's nice. We spend a lot of time in our vehicles, some of us. Some of us spend a lot of time in Ubers and Lyfts, other people's vehicles. Some of us don't spend any time in vehicles at all. But Amazon needs to broaden its Alexa-enabled network. And to me, it feels still... Low end, so they have to make a very high end slam dunk kind of statement. Voice assistants like Alexa seem to be ideal for a car. Okay, for a home. I still feel weird going, hey, Alexa, listen to Rob Black and your money. It just feels more normal for me to go to the website and stream, right? But voice assistants um, are already seeing more usage in cars. So the old voice bot, the cars be a prime environment for voice usage, hands-free, right? So for Amazon to get into Apple's CarPlay and Google's Android Auto, for Amazon to get in, it would be a big win. CarPlay is currently available in 60 different car manufacturers, while Android Auto is in over 70. Apple and Google continue to extend those into new manufacturers. When I got a Toyota truck a couple years ago, I was a little bit bummed. The, it offers Toyota's horrible, horrible entertainment software and phone software. It's horrible. It doesn't do what I need it to do, and I'm so needy. Um, the next model, the next car did get it. And I was like, oh, kind of a little tech regret, huh? Lexus true power in the car will come from you know being embedded into the operating system like Apple's and Google's voice assistants are. So Amazon's got a, a 2020 ahead of them. The T-Mobile Sprint merger. That's going to be a big story in 2020. The third and fourth largest mobile carriers. They've tried to join forces before. Will they or won't they? Will it be pulled off? Will the uh, United States government let it happen? T-Mobile will leverage both companies' resources to offer lower price plans for consumers. Um, there's a lot of free content perks. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Tidal, Pandora, and much, much more. So T-Mobile and Sprint were kind of an afterthought. Truthfully, Right. When Apple started app, uh, launching a phone, they, they said, we want AT&T as a partner because AT&T gave them partnering dollars. So it'll be interesting to see Sprint and T-Mobile because th- that's a really different type of company than either one of them were on their own. Will they jump ahead of AT&T and, Netflix and Verizon to build out a 5G network? I don't know. But it's a big story of 2020. 
Um, so far, in my opinion, and I don't know this area well, the man who's running my show right now, and I do call him a man because he's a man, we don't have a virtual reality killer app yet. Not that I can see everything from talking to people who use it. I know one of the software designers for Oculus Rift from Facebook, the lead. And I know people who have different set headsets. And they are out there. And surprisingly, they don't do any deals on the hardware. Because they can sell the product. They don't have to cut prices yet. But the key players did cut prices. Oculus and HTC, they're trying to get their tethered headsets into a palpable taste of the consumer. The average consumer, not the high-end consumer. So we don't have mass consumer adoption yet. We're going to get there, but we need that killer app to start the ball rolling. Will it be out in 2020? You're going to start seeing brands create voice apps at a rapid clip, coinciding with the rise of visual displays. Trying to engage consumers. Screens are becoming more common on smart speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home. Added visual component enables a richer, more engaging experience. So... Amazon introduced a new design language, Alexa Presentations Language, APL. So they're making their own software to promote their own hardware. We'll talk about this and more. I'm Rob Black, talking 2020 tech predictions. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I'm a notebook guy. I'm a notes guy. I'm, a, I'm always scribbling. When you do tech predictions, you kind of piece together your notes from the year before, and you kind of think, okay, these were the kind of the driving stories. We've heard some familiar trends in tech, like cord cutting. You've probably heard some, probably for me, the explosion of esports being viable. To compete with NFL, no time soon. But to compete with our eyeballs and our advertising dollars on a, a sporting platform, yeah. The dollars are there. The advertisers are there. The whole product hasn't been pulled together yet. A lot of people are trying to jockey for it. I'll give you an example. I have a friend who is a lawyer. And he's created a gaming league that he has deemed himself the commissioner of. Did he deem himself or name himself or de-deemed? I don't know. I just made up a word. and I'm going to copyright it and it's mine. But this is a digital trend. Esports replacing real sports. Would I rather have my kid be the best in the world at Madden football or the best in the world at football? Best in the world at Madden football. <laughs> this is my answer. But you see the point. Already, you know, tech platforms are going to face proposed regulation from all angles in 2020. I think the U.S. clamps down on transparency and privacy in 2020. I think the EU leads the way on antitrust. Maybe that's the way it should be. When you look at regulation and some of the big events in the last couple of years, and I wrote a couple down, um, Cambridge Analytical Scandal in March 2018. One month later, Zuckerberg was testifying to Congress. Um... Google was fined $5 billion in 2018. Mark Warner published his plan for tech regulation in 2018. California Privacy Act hit in 2018. 
Sandberg, Sheryl Sandberg and Jack Dorsey testified on Capitol Hill. Like in two, like 2018 really started leading to 2019 where we started seeing more parliament proposing, UK parliament proposing, you know, antitrust issues and using Facebook memos against them. And Google CEO Sundar Punjai testifying. So all the big tech CEOs have testified at this point in time. Regulation's coming. Now, again, Europe's going to do the antitrust heavy work for us. We're going to do the privacy issues. Will it be enough? I don't know. There are a lot of TV platforms, and I expect some of these streaming platforms to consolidate. I'm not really saying anything genius, am I? Because do we need Hulu? Eh, I, I can make a case for Hulu. But how about Tubby TV, also known as Tubi TV, or Pluto TV, or Walmart's Voodoo? Do we need all of these streaming services? And can we support all these bundling services or paid services when they bundle? I think you're going to see a retreat back to some free content that is ad-supported. Disney Plus is going to emerge as the clear-cut winner amongst the high-profile names. I think they best Warner Media's uh, HBO Max and Apple TV Plus. Now, again, that's the high-profile streaming, streaming video on demand. Netflix still has its place. But when you get content like Frozen and The Lion King and Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War, and you compare it to, uh, oh, that Adam Sandler movie on Netflix, you go, eh, one content is better than the other. And what's interesting, Disney still has some other areas that they can kind of get creative with. Like, how do they wrap in ESPN to their Disney Plus? How do they wrap in their their uh, movie, their, their theme parks into Disney Plus? Do they? Do they? 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Just for the record, 25% of worldwide customers, consumers, don't pay for a streaming service. So there's a lot pick up so Evan Spiegel started Snap and he famously turned down billions of dollars from Facebook now the hiccups that Evan Spiegel has been tied to running Snap have been numerous he basically said Facebook's in Northern California we don't want to be near there so we're going to do Southern California Yeah, you're not going to get quite the tech uh, experts there you don't have quite the fertile ground to pick from from Stanford and Cal, but I get it. But it was a misstep because the campuses were deemed too large and people couldn't communicate at work. Amazon will probably convert Prime subscribers to Snapchat users almost immediately. And it would build up its functionality on e-commerce driven social features. So you're going to see some mergers and acquisitions in 2020 that you don't see coming. Like I said, if FedEx puts themselves up for sale, I would love to see Shopify or Walmart get them. Not somebody like UPS. For Amazon to be bold, Amazon, yeah, we, we get it. We see you out there. We see that you're competing with Google on some hardware issues, and you're competing with Microsoft on some web services. To go after Snapchat and say, Zuckerberg, you're, you're on... Uh, you know, Snap has younger users. And the younger users have the more disposable incomes that they, they, they spend on stuff that they don't absolutely positively need, but they want. 
It's a perfect for, fit for Amazon. Eh, maybe not perfect. But they certainly have the cash and the stock price to do it. Podcast hype is, is going full force. I'm not against podcasts. Podcast is how you're probably listening to the show right now. But podcast listener base grew in 2019, and it will grow in 2020. It's going to be used by 26% of the U.S. population next year, up from 24% in 2018. So there's still a lot more money to be made in podcasts, and Apple knows it. Apple currently has 550,000 active podcast shows, up from 525,000 last April. Podcasters typically aren't eligible to advertise their shows without first receiving 20,000 downloads. Mine has received millions. I'm at 8 million plus. The average podcast downloads at about 1,600. So you're going to see more publishers and consolidation right there also in digital media tied towards podcasts. Again, Amazon buying Snapchat. A lot going on in digital media in 2020. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. America likes lists. I'm getting older. You're getting older. Not a lot of wisdom in that statement, but a lot of truth, right? Last year I had a puppy. This year he's no longer a puppy. She. I have to use the right pronoun when speaking of my animal. Actually, kind of, how shall we say, 0111, um, kind of androgynous. So, neither male or female name, huh? What about that? So, as we're getting older, we're kind of, we can't, we can do 5G investments. We can talk about last year's winners and this year's losers. We can talk about this year's winners and last year's losers. Like, we can do whatever on this show. We can change it up. But people like lists. Here's a quick top three things. Top three things that retirees, maybe not you, maybe your parents, maybe you. Top three mistakes retirees make and how to avoid them. Now, first and foremost, I work with no net in radio, and of course I make some mistakes. Know that. It's a little broker overrides for taking action on any stocks I've ever mentioned on the show. I work in the stock market that is not science. It's a lot more of an art, and it has to be a massage to understand. Retirees make three big mistakes that could jeopardize their financial futures. And when you're a retiree, in theory, let's say you're 60. I like breaking things down. You work from 20 to 60 years ago. But I'm in college till I'm 23. You work from 20 to 60 on this show, stupid. Just sit down and take it. Just go with it. And you retire from 60 to 100, okay? And from 0 to 20, I just want you to be happy. Happy and educated. You don't have to learn every financial story. You don't have to, like, my daddy used to make me have to do an allowance. And I had to, I, I'm not, it's not focused. I want you to be happy. Because later in life... Once you start working and getting married, it's all downhill. <laughs> no, it's great. It's really great. Number one, top mistake that people who are retired who don't have any time to fix things. So you need to set yourself up before you hit 60 and make these mistakes. Number one, no written plan. Only 12% of retirees have a written plan. An additional 42% have a plan, but it's not written down, and thus they have no plan. 
12% have a plan, 42% think they have a plan in their head, and the rest have no plan. In the month of December, my wife's best friend's father found out that he had some growths on his pancreas. Second person I've known in the last 90 days to have this story come down. His is further along than the others. The others is a younger woman who's in her 40s. He's a man in his 70s. Doctor said, basically, you got two to three months to live. If all these tests are confirmed. And essentially they were. His plan has been written down, but listen to this. He's got two kids, male and female. This male kid probably been in a little bit more of a disappointment in life. Tried to get into this career, didn't work. Tried to get into another career, didn't quite work. Fought with his dad about money. His dad, again, my wife's best friend's father. So kind of a friend of the family. He, he did well. He came for money. And he, he's going to set his kids up. But his plan is actually to empower his daughter to be the executor of his will. And not his son. Now, again, I'm like, if this is a lot of money, this should be a trust. First and foremost, not a will. So I can't really get involved in my friend's second generation or second, you know, uh, not direct friends. I can't really get involved in their finances because, A, they don't want me to, and B, they don't want me to, and C, they don't want me to. And D, they want me to, but then they, they're they like, whoa, you know everything about me. No written plan is a big mistake. Putting one kid in charge of the finances versus the other is a huge mistake. The kids are going to hate each other. And that played out over the holidays where he found out. And the dad had to say to him, well, son, you messed up in life too many times, and I didn't quite trust you to make the right decisions. Like, he's going to be leaving behind a wife who is starting to get dementia. Does that wife need to be put in a home at the end of this year or next year or the year after or the year after? He wants his daughter to make the decision because he believes his daughter won't make a bad decision. Knowing that she's a great architect, but she's not a great financial person, I think she'll probably make some bad decisions. But in his head, so for instance, my trust in my executor, I would rather have someone like a CFP, Chad Burton, who I know and I like, but who isn't my buddy, who is a fiduciary, who has to do the right financial thing, and he's been trained to know that. Maybe in his own life, he's not the right person, but for a kind of a third-person relationship, a third party, I think a third-party executor is a great thing. For any couple, think about how you want your kids to react when you die. Do you want them fighting over who has power and fighting over who gets dad's uh, Rolex? Or one kid wants to move into dad's old home and the other kid wants to sell it? You want that third-party person not part of your family because you want your kids to mourn you. Trust me, as a person who's lost his father many, many, many years ago, I wish he would have done better with his paperwork. I wish I had thought more that I would need to know more of these questions that I had to find the answers to late when I could no longer go to him. I had to go through his paperwork and find an insurance form when my dad was dying. He had six months left to live. And he didn't sign. He messed up and didn't sign a $400,000 life insurance policy that he had his whole life. But in the last six months of his life, when he was told, you will be dead in six months, he didn't pay it. For whatever reason, he paid it when he was healthy. He didn't pay it when he was known he was going to die. Having someone else involved in those decisions is, is really great. 
my dad, his his paperwork style was to stack stuff on his desk. So, like, if you didn't buy, a, buy a, a, a ream of loose-leaf paper, it's typically like 100 or 300 pages. I would say there was 4,000 pages of stuff on his desk that I had to go through. And slowly but surely, I was going through it, and I was like, oh, a life insurance policy didn't sign. So a written plan is awesome, and it takes away the pressure. When I should have been holding my mom and saying it's, it's, he was a great dad, and you know we loved him, and we'll miss him. I was going through his paperwork. When I was trying to hustle to get him into Arlington uh, um, Cemetery, which was his wish, um, I couldn't because we waited till like the, he died to like put in the application. They're like, well, it's going to take three weeks, and like, no, no, we don't have three weeks. We want to put him in the ground soon. So, trying to have these conversations is kind of important with your kids. Have a plan. Have it written down. In your plan, you also have to get some financial things right, like inflation assumptions, healthcare costs, long-term care costs, tax planning, tax efficiency. How much do you need in portfolio returns? How, what happens if there's a shortfall? What are your living expenses? Do you have a living will? There, there's things that you want to write down about age 60. If you haven't done it, you need to do it. A written plan of, of what you want to happen. Whether it be a trust, which I think everyone in California who owns a home should have a trust. Or whether it be a will. Um, another big mistake that people make in retirement is not taking enough risk. Not taking the right risk. It's probably the right way of saying that. There's a lot of inappropriate risk. You could have too much low-yielding fixed income where it's safe in principle, but low in income. Or you have too much in stock markets, not knowing that there are substantial times where the market underperforms. And you don't want that happening in your drawdown strategy. You want to have a plan for that. CFP Chad Burton has so many, like, a plan isn't like, it's not just a best case scenario, worst case scenario. And here's what we're expecting. It's a lot more nuanced than that. You can't say something simple like, I just want $3,000 a month in income. You got to get a little bit more nuanced. Another thing you should do is um, sequence of risk. This is a big mistake that retirees make. Sequence of risk, this is going to be a little bit more um, 11th grade attention. You got to have a little bit something going on here. This is the sequence of return risk when basically retirees mismanage the order in which the returns occur. You want a bucket approach. You want to spread out things in the short term, medium term, and long term. Your short term is going to be your cash needs, typically your income needs. And that's going to be the the most conservative tranche or bucket of money. Then you get some midterm, which will eventually become your short term. And you get some long term to hopefully keep funding your midterm and your short term. That's a basic, basic principle. And to give you an example, my bucket one would hold roughly $120,000 in high liquid assets. And that's going to be my near term living expenses for one, two, or three years. My more mid sized bucket, my medium sized bucket, it's going to be about $500,000. And that's going to be short-term focused bond exchanges, treasury inflation protected securities, 
maybe some bond funds. But the largest chunk of my money is going to be for years four through 20 in retirement. Not one through three, but four through 20. And that's going to be a growth portfolio. It's going to be almost a million plus dollars. And that's going to feed dividend growth and market indexes and international indexes. And it's going to keep me pace with, with decent global capitalist kind of returns. Three different approaches. Short-term cash and highly liquid. Second-term more income to fund the first one. And the third one to give you some long-term growth. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. Come to a seminar to learn more. Find me at Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. When I see Iran and the United States having tensions, do I think about 18-year-old boys going off to war and losing limbs and dying for the honor of their country? No. Do I see good wars or bad wars? No. I see airline stock getting hit, and that could create an opportunity to buy. I see oil prices skyrocketing and gold moving higher on fear. Oil with fear of what happens to Strait of Hormuz, what happens with the flow of oil. Are we going to war with Iran because of Saudi Arabia, or are we doing it because this general is really that bad of a dude? Are we going to war because it's a distraction from impeachment? I don't know. I'm not a Sunday morning political guy. So all I can tell you is when I see terrorism, when I see war, instantly I know oil goes higher, gold goes higher artificially. Until there's boots on the ground, it's artificial in my opinion. And I see airlines getting hit because of fear of travel and because their cost of business is heavily tied towards oil. 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Again, is it that simple? It's not. But for the sakes of it, let's just say it is. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Trump doubled down on his threat to target Iran's cultural sites. That's an act that could be considered a war crime. Um, fascinating. Fascinating how this administration and Twitter... Or fascinating how Twitter has reshaped. No, 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 no. Fascinating how, how politics and Twitter coexist now and how that's constantly evolving. An Iranian cleric said something that is almost too good. He uh, is a fan of Soleimani, the general who passed away, and he said, We can't really take shot at American heroes because your heroes are SpongeBob SquarePants and Spider-Man. And that brings up a good moral question, doesn't it? Or philosophical question. Uh, If you could dream the most evil thing, what would it be? If you could dream the best thing, what would it be? A scathing commentary on the United States is that the worst thing would be like this horrible monster from the depths of the ocean that it, it, when you look at it, you, you lose function of your body. You cry. But maybe the best thing we can create is like a, a talk show. <laughs> it's like maybe America is vapid and shallow and like we are con- maybe it would be a, a Kardashian, a Kardashian talk show host. Like what's the best thing we could dream up? And they're a European Middle Eastern 
Iranian cleric is totally mocking America, saying the best he could do is Spider-Man and SpongeBob. I don't know if that's untrue. I'm not speaking for the, the majority of America. I'm just speaking for whoever's watching the Kardashians. It's somebody out there. 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. Isn't it fun having Iran and the United States in a kind of like potential war? Isn't this fun? Uh, not so much. You know what 2020 could be, should be, I'd like to see it be, is let's earn some money. We saw bikes and scooters in the last few years, like kind of dominate the city landscapes and like, how are these guys making money? People are just dumping scooters in the middle of the street. And if you know anyone that's gotten on one, you can't get off of it for under 20 block, 20 bucks and three blocks. There's a cost of starting it up. There's a cost of shutting it down. There's a cost of how far you go. So we've had this bikes and scooters thing that we don't know how it's doing. They're private companies. We've got people whipping through streets um, on different type of startups for delivery services, whether it be Cosmo.com promising deliveries in under an hour. Do you remember them? Oh, that was 2000. But now we have companies like Uber and Lyft who we want things delivered to us from or we want them to drive us around, but we're not willing to say we'll pay the premium price just so you can earn some money. 2020 could be a year where we start, you know, telling these companies. And when I say we, I'm talking about SoftBank and Amazon, who's invested in a lot of the venture capital into companies like Uber and Lyft, um, Grubhub. These companies have to make money at some point. And there's going to be a tipping point, and it'll probably be a tipping year. And I'm not talking about how much you tip your waiter or your DoorDash person. But... Are you spending thirty to forty dollars on multiple food deliveries per week? You're probably gonna be spending fifty to sixty sooner than later. So companies like Grubhub, you know, we enjoy using our disposable income on them, but in the end, there's gonna have to be a, a way of them making money. Will 2020 be the year that we start shifting back towards? It, it, it's okay to be a unicorn in 2018 to 2019. We don't really like unicorns like we work. And Uber and Lyft, they're not making enough money for us to, they're not generating enough revenue to displace how much money they're losing for us to really say, let's quadruple those stocks. The investors want them to quadruple. That's their ticket out. They've put the money in. Now they want out. So they're going to be asking their companies to say, let's get more realistic here because we can't fool America forever on growth of revenue like we work. We got to earn some good old fashioned money. Now, not everyone does, because let's, let's face it, Beyond Meat was a sensation in 2019 where they had the growing revenues. They had the real relationships. They had a new product that's never been seen before, a plant-based protein burger. Woo! That's way better than WeWork's business model of, oh, we're going to lease a building, then we're going to sublease it. Like, that's your business model, subleasing? And you're losing billions of dollars? 2020, will it be the tipping point where we get some rationality and we, we kill the unicorns? Oh, man, that would be a visual image that would make me happy. Bloody unicorns with a hunter. And people cry, don't kill the unicorns. But in the investment world, you want to kill the unicorns. They're the companies that are worth billions that aren't going to make billions. Will 2020 be that year? 
It brings some rational thought into the process. Find me at robblackshow.com.